welcome to Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast. Of course, your host, Tom, and I am joined by the tightly compact. Uh, I'll let you introduce yourself. <laughs> I'm Josh, Josh Sniffin. Funny name, serious ITX. I was going to ask if uh, that was your real name, by the way, Josh Sniffin, <laughs> or if that's a stage name. No, it's unfortunately my real name. I mean, uh, I knew a guy in school named Mike Rapp. My crap. So uh, <laughs> I've heard far worse. Uh, the worst part is uh, going through the drive through though, and everyone addresses me as ma'am because of my voice over comms. So. Oh, so <laughs> like an elderly woman or something? Yeah, that's usually how it goes down. Yeah, Good for I... telemarketer scamming, though. <laughs> <laughs> you could really counter troll them if you want. <laughs> uh, that's my hobby. But yeah, so for those who don't know, you have a website, nfc-systems.com. You have a YouTube channel, NFC, um, not from Concentrate. Uh, and you basically do all small form factor builds. This is definitely what you like doing. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm kind of a passion for ITX builds and below. So... Let me ask you that, if you don't mind. Uh, I didn't go all the way back to the beginning of your channel, though. It looks like you have videos from four years ago. When did you start? Can I ask where you're from? Yeah, I'm from Central Texas, and okay. I kind of moved around the U.S., but that's kind of where I call home. Right now, I'm in Mississippi. I lived oh, in Seattle okay. for eight years, went to school there, and uh, came back down here. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I looked at a couple of your videos, and I'm like, well, he definitely has a lot of open space where he lives, that's for sure. And uh, it seems like he's probably not on either of the coasts, but it's, it looks a little warmer than usual there. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, usually nice motorcycle riding weather down here all year round. Yeah, I thought I saw that. What motorcycle do you have? I have a couple. Um, I'm riding an Enduro right now, KTM Enduro, and a Yamaha Roadliner, which is a big cruiser. Mm. I have a Honda Grom. Oh, that's an awesome, fun little bike. <laughs> yeah, I got it uh, when I lived in Detroit uh, to because I and then I modified it with like better intake and I lowered the um, uh, weight of it and it gets I think it weighed less than me when I got it actually, <laughs> uh, literally weighed less than me. And Small form factor motorcycling. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> and uh, I think you can. I got it up to like 130 miles oh per goodness. gallon. So that's the, so I drove that around and they would reimburse you when you traveled for work there, which I did almost every day. And so I don't remember what it was. It was something like $2 <laughs> a mile and I got 140 miles to a gallon. So I was just like driving like 50 miles a day, just like racking up an extra, basically an extra paycheck. I remember and it doesn't even hold two gallons, right? It doesn't yeah. even hold two gallons of fuel. And then you just go for an entire week. That's crazy. But yeah, so I, I have some experience with small form factor there. Um, and, and I guess what, what made you start the channel, though? I mean, I, you have a passion, so it's probably that. But like what actually made you start doing it? Like, I imagine you were just doing this for fun at first, right? Yeah, I actually um, have I don't have an answer for you there. I, I just like, well, I should actually start recording the stuff that I do mm -hmm. because I do a lot of stuff and the pictures I was taking, I was like, okay, pictures are nice, but people kind of want to see the process and work logs are kind of dying out in the forums. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll just try YouTube. But I don't have a good solid, hey, let's do a YouTube channel moment. It just kind of mm -hmm. happened. 
And, and I assume you launched your store after the YouTube channel? Yeah, I think it came about a year after or so. I think that's uh, right. Okay. I'm really bad with time frames, to be honest, but. Well, yeah, I mean, I remember, I mean, I started my channel just uh, at the end of 2018 and it was god awful. I mean, again, just like a guy talking into his phone who sounds stupid stuff. But like, I remember recently someone asked me about the Fury Nano and then I went and pulled up a whole set of benchmarking I did with bar graphs and everything for myself from two or three years ago. And I was like, yeah, well, maybe I should have uh, started this a while ago. I've been kind <laughs> of doing stuff channels do for fun. And so that's what I imagine you've been doing is because when I look at even just your first videos, it's really high quality. Like you strike me as someone who never does anything half-assed, right? Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I do think the quality of my content has gone down because I've just been too busy to make a good video. Um, the Maybe the lighting and the camera work is better in my newer ones, but I think the storytelling is better in some of my first videos. And I want to get back to that. Mm-hmm. So I've actually uh, got an editor now. Um, we're going to see if he can uh, do some good work on my new stuff. I mean, uh, I haven't noticed. So (laughs) thank you. (laughs) At the very least, uh, it seems to tower above a lot of similar size channels, uh, I think. But so, yeah, people should check out NFC. But uh, I I saw some quote from you. Um, I think you said design should not be about following behind, but about forging ahead. I really like that quote. Uh, I don't know if you remember saying that, but I think it's such an interesting idea because all the time, even recently, I saw someone ask me something like, well, you know, when it comes to 3D printing, wouldn't it be an issue if I can't follow exact build guides when I'm building my PC? And I'm just thinking, I mean, like you're, you're building a PC. Shouldn't you want to try to do for me? It's a lot about creative expression, I think, like otherwise, you know, so you should want to do something no one else has done. And that's kind of where I find my niche. I got to be honest, I am not a good engineer. I'm not a good artist. I'm not a good <laughs> system builder. I'm not good with tech. I'm not good with anything. But what I'm really passionate about is think, making something that no one's done before. Because there are other people that are good at those things, and they just need an idea, and then they'll take it, and then they'll do something amazing with it. So mm. as long as I come up with something that's totally unique, then I'm happy, and then I feel like I've achieved something. That's what I'm really striving to do. Yeah, for me, I just can't help but uh, try to do something different. I mean, even my very first build all the way back like a decade ago was a micro ATX build. And it was actually one that was smaller than most ITX builds, which I don't know if you want to comment on that. I've noticed a lot (laughs) of these public ITX cases are bigger than like my micro ATX case. They're just a gigantic cube that doesn't fit as many components as my micro ATX case that's smaller. And I just don't get, and that, and it really just, honestly, it annoys the living crap out of me. Like when I see stuff like that and you see people brag about these ITX builds and I'm like, if you actually look at the volume of that case, you're bigger than my case and I can fit SLI in my case, guys. I mean, that's why I actually make and sell a computer case now. I mean, that's the history of the mini. I didn't start thinking, hey, you know what I want to do? I want to be a case maker when I grow up. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, I actually had to develop one because I was working in a startup, and there was just nothing available for purchase. 
I, and I would yeah. go to these trade shows and I would be like, do you have something like this? And they would say no. And so I'd keep coming back and I'd show them like drawings or pictures of what I wanted them to make. And nobody wanted to make it without like a huge run and it was going to be kind of crappy. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I guess I'll just try to make my own. And uh, the rest is history, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, it seems like the entire case business is actually a little behind the times. I mean, it's like, we need to sell a million of these over five years and we need to sell them for $50. Mm-hmm. So that means you need to be able to fit 12 hard drives, even though no one needs 12 hard drives anymore. <laughs> you need to be able to fit three graphics cards. You need to be able to, and then it just doesn't come with any fans. The cooling is horrible. I don't know if you saw Gamers Nexus did a really good video, I think a year ago, making fun of the state of case design, where he just took a cardboard box. And, oh, yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, he taped like a tempered glass thing on the side and just wrapped a bunch of LED lights around it. And then he's like, there you go. There's no fans, but it's got RGB. It's got tempered glass. What a great case. Yeah, I I can understand companies want to play it safe with different configurations because they need to sell literally um, 75,000 cases a year for the big names. Yeah. Uh, but what I don't understand is how they end up making really bad designs that just do not serve the components they've chosen well. And that's something that has been confusing to me because they have great talent and they have the capability, but all the innovation actually comes from the indie case makers. Not all the innovation, but most of the innovation. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I think the funny thing is, uh, you see so many people take pictures of themselves gaming and you'll notice the panels off the side of their case. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, that lowers temps by five degrees Celsius or something. Yeah. I remember years ago seeing uh, someone say, if your temperature goes down when you take the panel off, you have a horribly designed case because that's not how that's supposed to work. It's supposed to be funneling air out of it. And unless it's some gigantic, unless it's a specific type of build, that just shouldn't be a thing. And for me, that's almost never been the case in my existing case. It doesn't lower it at all. I mean, there's two giant 140 millimeter intake fans, and then there's one intake fan and then another one, and then two at the top. So it's just basically like I'm describing, I'm miming in front of this guy. So all the audio (laughs) listeners have no idea what I'm doing, but like there's just two big intakes at the bottom, two at the top, and it just funnels it straight up. Removing the panel wouldn't really help anything. Yeah, I don't know. It really makes me think of, um, this is a random example, but I remember when the PS4 and the Xbox One came out and it turned out like the PS4 actually ran at lower temps, even though it was half the size. And it's like, well, yeah, they have a they have a cooling channel, you know, that flows past heat pipes in a very, very, you know, specific way. And then one of them is just a big box with a fan at the end. Yeah. And, you know, that's not actually going to cool as well as something that's. Right. And in fact, making it smaller probably means the air has to travel less distance to exit the case. Yeah, it certainly can be. But the bottom line is your case is supposed to help the cooling. And if not, then it needs to get out of the way of the components. That's my philosophy anyway. A lot of my designs, they're um, either open air chassis, mm-hmm. or they're designed in such a way that it actually does funnel the air from one side to the other like a server does. If you take the lid off a server case, your components are going to overheat. Yeah. Uh, actually, on that note, too, you know the Node 202 yes. uh, case? That one's one of the better designed ones. But one, I got it, and I actually fit a what is it? R9 Fury Nitro, that gigantic triple fan in there. I had to bend the metal to fit it inside. And and if you look inside the case, like it had SSD RAID, 
and all these other things. I actually like put tiny little 80 millimeter fans across the top vent to pull extra air out of the top. And if you open that case, it was just full, but there were these clear channels where I like wrapped, like I had to like basically organize the wires to create cooling channels that flow through that <laughs> tiny case. And, um, I think I even put an extra 80 millimeter fan inside the case to like move air from one chamber to the next. And the one weird thing was there were no holes on one side of the, uh, graphics card. And I was mm-hmm. like, so you got these two giant 120 millimeter fans and then nothing. And I just took a drill and drilled out a pattern of holes so that all you just do is just pull the air straight past the graphics card. And oh, there you go. I don't know why that was so hard to come up with. <laughs> yeah. So let's, I have a reader mail question here. So Sockbun writes in and he says, NFC, I love your content. I've been craving an update for the S4T. Do you have any updates on that case from his, yeah, from you? Uh, I, I kind of do. I mean, I got really sick over the summer. I couldn't do any work and then I got behind, but um, I've been working on it. And in fact, I've been editing the Patreon video, which I expect to release in the next couple of weeks before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And from the Patreon users, I want to get the final feedback of what do I include? And then I'm going to go right to making the dies and get it produced next year sometime as early as possible. <laughs> okay. So I guess what you're saying is you should have a big update early next year, which it's funny to say next year. You mean in two weeks? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hopefully even before the end of the year, I'll have a video out Okay. for Patreon peoples. Well, let me go back to then. So when did you get into PC hardware or, or, or gaming? Like 10 years ago, five years ago? When did that happen? So literally all of my life, uh, my dad was a computer enthusiast and he had like the original Apple and was kind of there following along the guys and he was really excited about it. So we've always had a Mac and a PC and he's a programmer or has been a programmer for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. So I guess forever, to be honest, uh, we were building the Mac clone PCs, whatever you want to call them, (laughs) back when they were a thing years years, and years ago. So you were like building PCs when you were in grade school, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember dad trying to teach me to program when I was three years old. I have a memory of sitting on his lap and he like make a smiley face and he would type something in and then I click the smiley face. He'd help me out. I'm three years old. I can't do anything, but. (laughs) Well, so you know a lot more than you're letting on then probably. It doesn't make you an expert, but you've certainly had exposure to everything going on here uh, for a while. Uh, Maybe. I'm not. I like I'm. No, I don't really know anything, to be honest. <laughs> but I have been... The I've modesty, man. Come on. <laughs> I've always appreciated it. I would say that um, I started building computers for Sirius when I was mm-hmm. maybe 15 years old. Okay. And that was when I started putting together my first actual builds because I had a little bit of money from working a job to do mm-hmm. my first build. And then I wanted to be a... Um, design those custom computers sort of like alienware they were like my mm-hmm. first model so i would spend hours and like i'm sure other people did this too like on new egg putting together like my dream build lists <laughs> of yeah. what i wanted to build but i didn't know what level of pc building was until i ended up at a pdx land a friend of mine that worked at cool ants drug me to one in oregon i was in seattle at the time Mm-hmm. And when I walked in those doors, oh. my mind literally exploded. I had no idea that's what top tier PC building was. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. So, yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I would say too, you know, like I've always had some level of PC gaming for a while, especially when I went into college, uh, when I got into it. And at the time, there weren't like, and I mean like 10 years ago, there really weren't a lot of small form factor builds back then at all. No. I mean, so like that's the one thing I think we could definitely talk about how small form factor is new, but it's easily becoming one of the most popular types yeah. of PCs. Yeah, it's awesome. But you're absolutely right. Like that's what reason I had to go make that case is because nobody did it. And so I was going to PDX land mm-hmm. religiously after that. Hit all the PDX lands. I had to participate in the mod contest. And all of my mods would be pretty small eventually. But they wouldn't get noticed. And people mm. would like kind of even make fun of them. Some people would like say, what is that, like a router or something? As like a joke. So a lot of my builds were completely and totally just not seen. I was like, okay, well, this isn't really working. And I almost gave up. I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to stop doing this because it's not working out. Um, but then Philip from Sapphire saw my Veritas build, mm. and he was like, dude, this is awesome. We'd love to work with you. And that kind of breathed new life into me as far as making small form factor stuff. Yeah, I mean, I remember in college... I guess I don't know the exact size. I'm trying to think if I could describe it to people. I had a micro ATX case. It was actually, if anyone wants to look it up, it was, you know, it was a cheaper build. I was pretty poor in college, but it was a uh, Rosewell Ranger M. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, only six inches, you know, in the front. And then it's like 11 inches by 11 inches. So it's not, for a micro ATX build, it's almost as small as you could get, but it could fit two 13-inch graphics cards, multiple hard drives, um, a full power supply. And I remember I, I, I basically traded between cards until I got a 7970. So I had an i7 and a 7970 and something that I could fit in my suitcase, which was I thought was really good because I traveled so much when I was in college. And I remember seeing these people building PCs and they were like four times bigger than mine. <laughs> and then I saw like um, this guy was like bragging, yeah, I've got SLI. And I'm like, what do you have? And he's like, oh, I've got two 660s. And like an i5 and i'm like you're weaker than me with your two cards and your your pc is three times as big why is that and i guess that's a question for you why do you think that's a thing because it seems like a thing in and of itself it seems like people make this giant pc and it makes it cool and then you look at the components and it's like a 1050 ti and an r5 or something <laughs> oh man i can't actually answer that I, I don't know because I've always been driven to be the mm-hmm. most efficient as possible. So I just, it's a different mentality, I suppose. What I can comment on is I see a lot of people in the small form factor world do what I call cram modding. Mm-hmm. And it's really fun to follow. It's about putting the most ridiculous hardware possible in this yeah. small space. But at the same time, it's like, I think you might be not living up to the purpose of small form factor. Because I've done it myself because I thought it was really interesting, but they never end up being they don't operate like you'd want them to operate. They're finicky. They run super hot. You mean like when you make them ultra, ultra small, ultra, ultra small and ultra, ultra powerful. It's like a, it's a form of art, but it's something that I think unfortunately trickles down to the mainstream of people who want a nice computer. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's kind of like tuners that work on cars and then crank them up to ridiculous PSI for that. that put for, a 450cc engine in a Grom, which I yeah, said before. It, it's t- it's awesome. It's art, but you do not want it as your daily driver. But unfortunately, because I make computers, people want to buy that from me. And it's like, mm-hmm. there's just a lot of responsibility that comes with this computer. 
Well, I mean, it depends how you do it, right? Like my Node 202, I literally fit, and I mean literally to a millimeter, the biggest graphics card I could in that case. But it also was this giant triple fan card, and the triple fans were aligned with the vents, and then there were vents pulling air out right behind it. So it really didn't compromise its cooling at all. Right. But I think sometimes, yeah, when you make those ultra small builds, like I've seen like a the radiator for a liquid cooler just like flush against the side of a graphics card. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's going to help at all that you have that liquid cooler there, guy. Of course, it depends on how you do it. But like the people that are innovating with the mini, for example, I mean, they're putting custom made water blocks, custom made radiators, custom power supplies all in this box. And it's amazing to see. It's a lot of fun. It's just challenging when you have a a customer that wants a daily driver and has money to spend, want that. And that's the hard part about communicating that it's not really for you. Yeah. And I mean, I guess it also depends, right? So I travel for work. I've always traveled a lot. So having small PCs that I can either throw in a backpack or a bag uh, has mattered to me. But if you're not going to bring it somewhere, I obvious, I really don't like big cases though. Like I will say that I hate the cases that are like, you know, like just enormous, like the, just like two feet tall. Like I'm like, I don't know why you would want something taking up that much room, but at the same time, I don't know if you need to really make it the smallest unless you're actually going to bring it somewhere, which is what I always ask people. It's like, are you actually going to take this somewhere? Cause if you are, well, maybe it does make sense for you to make it as small as possible. If you're literally going to take it everywhere, at least, yeah. at least you know, that's who I think is I don't really see the point in, um, at least me personally, having a big case, unless there's some real specific stuff and you have a ton of money, having one big case at home and then a mobile case, because it's like, well, the mobile case may throttle, but is it really that much weaker? You could probably save a couple grand if you just have one build. Oh yeah, for sure. And I'm not arguing against small form factor. I mean, I'm all for (laughs) small form factor and powerful small form factor. It's just that extreme small form factor is a it's an art form, I think, that's best left as an art form, not as a daily driver. That's all I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. But as far as portability, yeah, that's why the Mini exists. Because it, it couldn't just be small, but it had to actually make sense on how it was going to fit in a backpack. Because there's plenty mm-hmm. of small oh, four-packer yeah. cases out there. But when you actually stick them in a bag and put it on your back, that's not fun to do. So that's where it got that slim design, which people call a console design now. Mm-hmm. But it had to split into the laptop sleeve of a backpack. And now the new one has those rounded edges. So mm-hmm. it's even nicer to slip in a backpack and you can oh, put yeah. a supply in it. So it's a dream if you're carrying your PC around. Yeah. Let me ask this then we keep getting smaller and smaller. I actually want, I, I think you see this um, polarization of uh, motherboard sizes like micro ATXs kind of dying. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I don't know if you can see behind me, I have this 3950X and a uh, DTX motherboard, but it's because I couldn't find a micro ATX case with, I mean, a motherboard with a good VRMs for this 16 core processor. Like I just straight up could not find one. And so I had to go with a DTX one, which will allow me to fit a bigger liquid cooler. And so that's fine, I guess. But like, I, like I just straight up couldn't get one. And I think it's because you see everyone either wants a bunch of features on ATX or they want to go small with ITX. But the the problem I have is I don't really see any more 
And I think this is why um, small form factor keeps getting bigger and bigger is as we remove, you don't need a sound card anymore. Well, mine will have a sound card. Most people don't need a sound card anymore. Most people don't need a separate Wi-Fi card. It's in the motherboard. Most people don't need blah, 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 blah. And so as you remove components and the components get more efficient, small form factor just kind of seems to make sense. But I wish I wish we would kind of just migrate to micro ATX and then actually not ITX but nano ITX. I wonder if you have any thoughts on nano ITX because that's slightly smaller than ITX and it's still big enough to fit a full-time 16 PCIe slot. Um, a nano ITX is a cool form factor and I'm all for weird new form factors. Like I really like the STX form factor that Azrox has been pushing. Mm-hmm. But for I think that ITX is the sweet spot. And the reason is... Interesting cases are going to make use of the I.O. to expand mm-hmm. for bigger cases. Like with the multiple PCI Express slots in the form of M.2 PCI Express mm-hmm. with ribbon cables, I think that is really where we're head next. And that's why I'm focusing oh, on making yeah, cases that use multiple cards and multiple slots for that ITX board. So mm-hmm. it's like the best of both worlds. But so you don't think you could fit that in nano because it can fit a full PCIe. That, to me, I just see blank space on all motherboards. I want the thing to just be a brick. <laughs> no, I think that's fair. I, I I just think that I'd prefer to see STX be the new form factor if we go a little bit smaller rather than nano. And uh, ITX see. being the replacement for, well, ITX and micro ATX. Well, I mean, Crossfire is kind of going away. So, so you said this is called an STX. Is it called thin? Oh, is it kind of like a longer ITX motherboard? Um, an STX board is actually pretty small. It's, yeah, why don't uh, you explain it? Because I actually can't find it quickly. Um, if you type in ASRock like H310M STX, you can see the form factor. It's very close to Nano, but I think that it's been more standardized or it works better for people building standardized cases. Oh, yeah. So I didn't know the form factor name. And they usually just call it micro ATX, even though it's not. Yeah, I've seen this before. Yeah, I'm sure it's kind of like a longer one where so you can fit more slots like you're describing. Yeah, it's it's about the same size as a nano. It's maybe it's a little bit bigger, but um mm-hmm. it's uh, always uses mountable, it's socketable CPUs mm-hmm. and good spacing for it. Yeah, It's a more standardized nano, I guess, is how I try to explain it. Well, let me say this. Speaking of nano, Bollocks writes in, uh, just like supporters can, and goes, what are your thoughts on used Fury nanos going for under $150 redos with shipping included? And this was actually, I did a video on this because I found a seller selling, uh, he had like 100 of them uh, on eBay, Fury nanos for $100 flat. Uh, I wouldn't buy it. You wouldn't? No, I, I wanted that card to be amazing. I, I was more excited about that card than I think pretty much any GPU that's ever released. But it's very buggy, unstable. You have to do a lot of tuning on it, even if you have a nice big build. Uh has terrible coil wine. Uh, can peak to over 780 watts unless you have um, anti-aliasing forced at 8x all the time. So it's just not a very good card. And then everybody bought it for doing mining on it too. 
So, well, so let me, uh, <laughs> we're going to disagree on that one then because I had one. And if you BIOS mod it, you can turn that thing into a 980 Ti. Like, so AMD actually, well, in my experience, AMD clearly used their best yields of Fury, their most efficient ones for the Nano, yeah. which common sense, of course they did. It's the small one. And you can overclock the memory because stock is 500 megahertz. Uh, I got mine to 700 megahertz memory. And I, every single one I've touched at least hit 650. And then you can go in, and, and this is one of the few graphics cards, for whatever reason, the Fury series from AMD, you can BIOS mod them and the drivers won't get mad at you ever. And so you can actually go in and change amperage limits voltage limits, what it boosts to. You can undervolt it, limit the clock speed. And I got it boosting to about 1030 megahertz stable at about a hundred, about 200 watts level with the memory overclock to, I, I think I left it because there's no point in increasing it at a certain point. Uh, I think I left the memory at like 625 megahertz, which is more, or 650 megahertz, which I believe is more bandwidth than a 2080 Ti. Uh, not that it's going to do anything with that much bandwidth, but like, uh, at least for me, that really impressed me. I find that interesting because I didn't have any coil wine. I think coil wine is kind of a luck of the draw with graphics cards. It can be. Um, I, my problem was it was a card that I prematurely recommended for the mini, um, cause I got mm. so excited about it. So I had a lot of people purchase it. And I had to actually buy back some customers because I wanted to have them to have a good experience with well, my product recommendations. It, like I said, it was not a small form factor graphics card. Like if you bought it and you want, you're a tuner and you want to put a full ATX power supply behind it and you have a case that can cool it. Okay. But for my chassis size mm -hmm. ran way too hot. And then, like I said, it could use up to 780 Watts of power in a peak. It didn't average that. Right. But it could peak extremely high mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And so it just wouldn't run on any of the hardware that was out there. And a lot of them had problems. A lot of them had memory problems, like the uh, the game they would actually crash before you could load it. You'd see like the pink and the green lines as you're loading up. You had to get a new BIOS even to load some of them. Most everyone that I had had fair, had extreme coil wine. And, and so I did you? Several you, of them. In the I'm curious. Then were you putting this in builds? What is it? What, what did it come out? 2015. So back then, though. Yeah. Yeah. Back oh, then. okay. Well, you see, because that's the thing. I think I got my hands on one new at a micro center for my cousin. I was building her something for her ITX build. And I think I got it. I think I got it right when the mining craze was bad, but I got it mm -hmm. for a good price. So, yeah, I think I got it like a year after it came out and it was nothing but rock solid stable by then. That's interesting, though. I have no idea what it may have been like when it first came out. Well, I mean, for 100 bucks. <laughs> give it a well, shot but i mean that's my that's what i my point was when i was recommending it because at least my exposure has been good uh granted it was after several bios updates and stuff so i guess i don't know about that uh, i did have to you're right though i did have to turn down some of the voltage for the case in her itx build so that it didn't peak too high having said that though i think i cheaped out on her <laughs> power supply <laughs> too much so half of that was my fault but uh yeah, I mean, a hundred dollars is uh, the price of a five seventy, though. That's that's why I think of it. And that it's a way. much better card for sure, and in theory, anyway. And it has the connector at the right location, so you can actually put it into a mini with the power supply. Yeah, so if it's working that, right, 
<laughs> those cards that put it at the front is it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> so, well, so let me move on to this. Chris Fairbanks writes in and he says, what is your take on the future of small form factor and the role 3d printing may or may not play? That's a great question. Um, there's a company right now that makes the 3d printed cases. A lot of them, um, based on other designs and kind of turns them into 3d printable. Mm. And, uh, I don't, I don't know because the price of them, you just ends up being in the realm of what I'm charging for like my mini Mm -hmm. and you don't get the quality of a 3d printed case as you do with something that's produced in aluminum or whatever you want, like a manufactured case. So I think that the role would be end user customability. Like if the end user had the ability to choose from a list of 50 options on a website and then they hit print and then the computer automatically generates that print. I think that would be interesting. I have a 3d printer too. It's a pretty decent Mm. one. Well, it's not mine, but I um, run it for a friend and even that it's great to make parts on it, but I wouldn't Mm. want to print a full case. I have, but just not, it's not, it's nasty. That's not what I want when I make a computer Mm. case or hold a computer case. Yeah, I did, I did a video that came out uh, Monday. So for those who don't know, we're recording uh, kind of mid-late December uh, about three the future of 3D printing cases. And um, I think a lot of people said some of what you said, which they argued, oh, uh, it's they're not high quality. They can't do this as well as that yet. And they're, they're expensive. But I think what I should have been more clear about in the video is I'm saying like in the future, I understand, mm-hmm. you know, that right now, I mean, it's there if you want to do a quick, small, cheap case, I guess. Although I don't think it's that cheap, really, because of the materials, how much you'll need to use to make it. But I think in the future, what what I say in the video is what I can see happening is us finally being able to just completely bypass these ridiculously d- designed bad cases that they have to sell in the you know tens of thousands. What we can do is just have like, you could literally have a website where you just go, I'm going to use this many drives. I want room for two more. I need to fit a card that's literally this dimensions and I want this type of cooling. And then you could just, you know, through machine learning or whatever, it just generates the case for you. And it's the most efficiently designed case you can get. And then it's like print and then you're done. I do think that machine learning um, is going to be absolutely huge for making computer cases. And it's Mm -hmm. going to take a lot of my job away if you will <laughs> and I, I do well i mean hey you got a head start create the <laughs> website now man build it before they do computer controlled manufacturing i think is absolutely the future and there's mm-hmm. going to be machines that are going to be able to fold metal and cut metal and weld metal that probably are going to outscale a 3d printer mm-hmm. so just however you want to think about it a computer controlled manufacturing device that can fit in your garage is is going to happen. So, well, yeah. And what I would say (laughs) is, well, like the cheaper 3d printers aren't there yet for being able to make a case that's high quality, at least high quality is what I would want. Right. They're not there. Like you're, like you say, your cases look incredibly high quality. And what you'll have over here is something that looks really rough around the edges, even if it works. But I think in a few years, the quality just keeps going up. I remember the first 3D printers could barely make it a shape. <laughs> like yeah. they, they were not very good. And I think a point I made in my Discord that, again, I should have probably made in my video, I'll probably touch on it again, is I think even if the 3D printer, like you say, 
has to go in a garage. Like even if it's like a $5,000 printer, I don't see any reason why that couldn't be at a Best Buy. And then you go on their website and generate the case. And then you pay Best Buy like 30 bucks or something. And you just, it prints and it tells you and it's ready to be picked up or at a micro center. Like at the very least, I think that's definitely coming. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I wish I could link you some um, machines, some CNC machines that can fold metal and cut metal, but they would blow your mind. They're so advanced now. um, It's, it's unreal. So like I said, as long as we're not stuck on the fact that it has to be 3d printing. Oh, you're right. But you're going to, you're going to have devices that are around the same size that you can feed the material and that's going to produce a super high quality computer case. It's yeah, just about a good point. Yeah. yeah, it's about how how you're forming something because centering parts or however you want to do it is never going to be as strong as taking a a, a part and forging it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what might happen though, and what I'm hoping happens. So let's say 3D printers get to a point mm-hmm. in four years where they're good enough. They don't. They no. Again, they don't look sure. as good as like my Cerebrus Slinger case or whatever. But you know what? They work. They, they, they do work and they don't look like complete junk anymore. You don't need to, if we get to the point where you don't need to sand them down before you use the case, (laughs) you know, once we get there, that will take away a certain part of the market. And then when we get to the point where you can just go to a micro center and they print the case, or like you say, they have an advanced CNC machine that just puts together the case for you. I think what that would at least do is for some competition with these case manufacturers because I like Leon Lee a lot. Silverstone makes a lot of cool things, you know, and there's a few good ones, but a lot of the bigger brands, it's just junk in my opinion. And I think at least 3D printing and advanced CNC could could force the mass manufacturers to really take some more time to put effort into making a good case. And I think, so there will, not everything will be 3D printed, but at least sure. it should improve the market and take away... Take away a decent amount of the pie from these people that are just putting boxes with no cooling together. What I think is kind of interesting is that manufacturing hardware and technology is becoming more accessible and cheaper. Mm -hmm. And people like me can actually afford it. We just have to have a $1,200 minivan instead Mm -hmm. as a compromise. But there's a lot of people like me out there now. And right now I have an industrial laser in my garage. So I'm going to be able to do custom work for people in that regard. You know, I have a a decent CNC machine. I have the 3D printer for small parts like washers and stuff like that. And it makes super high quality stuff. But we are taking away business from those big manufacturers Mm -hmm. right now. So it's not about taking business away, but it's about innovating and they are forced to do something about it. Exactly. They need to compete with you eventually, or there will just be more and more and more people taking away a piece of the pie. Frankly, it's, it's also just kind of like these tech websites where some of them are still good, but a lot of them, you read these articles and it's like, uh, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. And then you just have YouTubers and people on Patreon (laughs) doing a better job than them. And, and, and when it's just you, you don't need to like make a million dollars a year to support a website. You just no. need to make enough to live. And then if there's a hundred people doing that, the web who's on the website, you know, who's buying these cases. If you have a hundred people making the exact case you want. Yeah. And the big problem is there is not a lot of power for people who are designers mm-hmm. or inventors. It's all the power goes to manufacturing. 
because you can spend a year designing a case and you can yeah. spend thousands of dollars prototyping it and you can do all the marketing legwork and create the YouTube channel and build up the customer base and get ready to hit, you know, sell. And then the manufacturer will just be like, yeah, and we can make 40,000 of those for half the price and we're good. Yeah, that's true. So really it has to be what you're talking about. It has to be manufacturing technology that I can put in my garage, that I can rapidly create stuff for customers. Otherwise it's a losing game. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay. Let me switch gears here a little bit. So steak and chicken man writes in and he says, what's your favorite chipset of all time? So I, I imagine you have to put a lot of thought into, I mean, sometimes you just can't buy certain chipsets, right? If you yeah. want to do a certain size build. I mean, when you say chipset, do you mean like, um, like the motherboard chipset? Probably something revolving around Devil's Canyon. Ah. <laughs> that was probably the most glorious CPU of all time. You know, it's funny. I was thinking that too. I mean, yeah. obviously I don't recommend, I was thinking of that before we started recording. When I saw that question, I was like, you know, obviously you're not going to buy that now, <laughs> but I remember back then the Haswell generation motherboards having just yeah. an immense amount of IO, right? Yeah. Like just all this. I remember my, my 4770K motherboard having, I think it had 10 SATA slots. Like in four PCIe on a on a micro ATX, it was pretty tremendous how much uh, you could do with those chips. I think they may have even gone down and kind of in support since then. Yeah, I mean the eleven the SOC eleven fifty. I think that's like the renaissance of PC building and gaming because yeah. like in the news it was all like consoles of destroyed PC gaming. You know <laughs> they're never going to come back again. But it was stuff like that that was just affordable, but really awesome, really easy to overclock if you've never done before. Yeah. And then great chips that had good graphics in them. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, people are like, oh, we integrated graphics. But to no, be they real, were good. They, they were serviceable. And I think that that allowed people to kind of save up money and buy better graphics cards. I don't know. That was a great chipset. And that CPU still goes for like 300 bucks because it's overclocked so well. Yeah, I I actually um <laughs> my brother just upgraded uh to an 8 core uh 2700X cuz those were $130 <laughs> on Black Friday, which is insane. <laughs> but he's upgrading from a Broadwell i7 actually that he managed to get for a good price and I know that thing could game, I mean it could game in 1080p medium or low actually. <laughs> Broadwell yeah. had incredible graphics, which is, you know, the one that came right after Haswell. Yeah, I I think um for the time that was actually an underrated generation for sure. Yeah, I mean, all I can really say to that is uh, I agree. But it does lead me to something else, which is a concept that I think I realized recently. And it's kind of the rise of small form factor. I think one of the major contributors to that was probably Intel's dominance. And I, and I know I'm very happy now. Again, I, I have a 3950X that I want to build Friday, tomorrow or something. But as much as it sucked that Intel was basically able to just sell ever cheaper to produce quad cores for 10 years mm -hmm. uh, nonstop, I think that is why ITX took off. Because if all you're going to do is keep selling quad cores over and over, over and over, and all they're going to do is keep getting more and more efficient. I remember at a certain point going, 
what's the point of a bigger PC anymore? <laughs> and I think that's where the rise of sm- some of the rise of ITX came from was the fact that you could make a Devil's Canyon motherboard that had all the I.O. you need and was the best gaming chip. And before that, people were just getting more and more cores and stuff. And it kind of forced people to realize if things get more efficient, I should just make my PC smaller. So I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I haven't, but that's actually pretty genius. Um, I kind of took it for granted, to be honest, but that makes a lot of sense, especially in light of today where you have CPUs with more and more and more and more cores, and they're sucking ridiculous watts. (laughs) I mean, some of those new Ryzen chips can pull 500 watts. Or the Epic chips, I should say. (laughs) uh, Red Ripper ones, yeah. Red Ripper, yeah. Which so, if you need, you know, 24 cores. Sure, it's, it's it's awesome. It just, people are going big again. I mean, look at all the new high-end graphics cards. I have um, one of Sapphire's 5700 XTs, which is an amazing card. Mm-hmm. But it's like literally twice the size as the base card. Like another power color of 5700 oh, yeah. XT. And this is twice the size. And that is a trend that it seems to be quite popular now, is making things way bigger than they need to be. Well, yeah, that's why I have a tendency uh, to get the reference cards as long as they're not complete junk, right, is because they take up what I think the maximum should be. I think you have 12 inches in length, you have two slots, and you Mm -hmm. can make it, you know, maybe bulge out slightly past the back, I guess, what do I want to say, the IO bracket? Like, you can make it slightly go past that. But I think that I think at a certain point we need to just be like, guys, that's it. That's how much space you have to make a graphics card. I should not have to worry about this ridiculous PCIe sagging card. I mean, how much more extra performance are you actually adding by making it that much bigger? Yeah, it, but while the cases are big, I guess they're designing cases the cards to fit. That's like, well, true. It looks cooler in your big case. Well, I agree with that. It looks cooler in your big case, but. <laughs> it's yeah. one of the reasons I went and helped um, and supported and pushed for Larry's HD Plex as a form factor. And I'm still trying to push it. I think that the innovation is going to come from pushing the hardware to get smaller because people mm-hmm. are always asking, can you make the mini bigger so it can support these things? I'm like, well, I'd rather go talk to the manufacturers and make their hardware smaller and make it fit. Mm-hmm. And it's actually been quite successful so far, thanks to ASRock being really community oriented and HD Plex being super community oriented. Yeah. Well, my favorite thing is um, like, I don't know, like you have a card like the HD 7990, like the dual 7970. Mm-hmm. It's like, I get why that's a big card. Uh, it needs to cool quite a bit of heat. But I, I, I always laugh when I see something like a 1060 triple slot like i'm like guys this is a 120 watt card yeah you're not adding any extra performance it's a pretty sad it's pretty sad and And then like the build quality right like it's like this cheap plastic it looks like a kid's toy i like the more professional looking cards at least i do yeah it's unfortunate because we had the 10 series which everyone was focused on making smaller because it was efficient that was mm-hmm. awesome time for small form factor. But with the 20 series, it's like, let's go super big, even though we're more efficient than ever. Mm-hmm. As a community, like supporting cards like the HP's 2060, you could only buy it in their um, their actual computer. So people will go and buy like the Omen on sale at Best Buy, throw out the case, throw out the parts, but use that awesome 2060 and resell How the big other is it? Stuff. Is it? Is it like a single fan or is it two fans, but small? It's a, it's a single fan, really tiny, um, mm-hmm. two slot, and it has the power connector at the very end, which when you get to that size, that's what you want. You don't mm-hmm. want it on the side 
if it's under six inches. So it's just a brilliant. Oh, wow. Card. Yeah. And I know that I've seen, um, I'll run into those on eBay too, like cards I didn't know existed. Like yeah. I'll, I'll see like a, an RX there. I mean, Sapphire made a mini RX 570, mm-hmm. but like it was never in stock. And I remember seeing the OEM version that was like just absolutely tiny and only needed a six pin. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this then that brings me to, do you remember the, what was it? The company's name is a Fox. Do you remember the low profile, uh, HD six, eight fifty, and then seven, eight fifty? Yes, because I had to use one in a build. I mean, I guess let me, so for those who don't know, like this was a, like when you see a low profile, I don't know, RX 560 or, you know, GTX 750 Ti and you're like, whoa, this thing, like it has like these tiny little 40 millimeter fans on it. And it's this tiny, tiny little baby looking card. And yet it might Mm -hmm. be like a full 750 Ti or something. Well, no, this was a full 7850. Yeah, it was always fun to find those cards back in the day for small form factor, like Power Color, Sparkle. They would make weird low profile cards that I just had to put into builds. I think the my project Veritas it used a um, it had like an I think it had a 980 in it, but it was like a low profile 980. There was a low. Are are you serious? There's a low. you, You don't mean ITX 980. You're saying there was a low profile 980. Right. Well, I've never heard of that, but I gotta look up the model number for it. But they certainly there, could have. Yeah, and there was um, what else was pretty interesting? I'm kind of blanking on the cards now. Well, yeah, but, but so there like, was full size cards that were turned into low profile monstrosities in their own little gremlin type of way. <laughs> yeah, and I guess <laughs> I guess what I'm thinking is like why um. I wish that would be more of a thing because I don't see why it couldn't be. It was they were rare. But like, I really feel like if like, it's like you say, like people say, can we make the case a little bigger to fit this? And then it's like, well, then why don't I make it bigger to fit this and this as well? It's like, no, let's make the components smaller. And we could, like, I don't get why we don't have a certain limit, like where the start of the high end or the top of the mid range has a low profile version. They could even charge more for it. I mean, you said people are going to (laughs) Best Buy and throwing out omens to get that smaller 2060. Like, I, I really wish someone would make like a low profile version, even if it's underclocked a little, of like the 5700 or like the 2060, because you could if you tried. And then that just opens up an entirely new universe of how small you can make cases without compromising quality. Yeah, they totally could, um, especially for the 1060. I feel like that's a no brainer. Mm-hmm. But like the fans are always terrible on them. But I wonder if you could put a high end fan on it and it wouldn't be terrible. Yeah, because that's what we end up doing. We just throw them out and put some Noctua fans on it and you're good to go. Yeah, I mean, I think any card around right 150 watts, as long as they just undervolted a little bit, lower the clock speeds a tad, maybe give it faster memory to try to compensate for the cork performance loss. You just as long as you limit it to a six pin. It's it's proven you can cool a six pin card in a low profile if you give it good fans. I, I really wish that was because again, like maybe at that point, most people get mid range cards. At that point, you could make cases that are just one NVMe drive, you know, one six core. There's now they use sixty five watts processor, and then just one low profile card, and it, it would remove any. It would remove a lot of the challenge of making it small. 
Yeah, and you could even actually go back to a blower design on it, which yeah. usually is a bad idea. But for a low profile card, you're just adding a little bit to the end. Mm-hmm. You're not having to jam through a ton of fins. I don't know. I think it could work. I'd, I'd certainly want to see it tried. Try it again. Yeah, it, it it annoys me. I remember that AFOX 7850 as well was like only sold in Japan and China. Mm-hmm. And so like if you wanted it, it's like you're going to have to pay at least $100 premium to get it in the U.S. Yeah, all the interesting low profile cards were from Japan, I feel. Mm-hmm. All right. So I guess let me say this. I've got a few of the reader mail questions here, but... Is there anything with regard to case design, sizes of components, or PC hardware that you specifically want to talk about? Because I've had my list of things, and it's like, is there anything you want to talk about? Uh, I would like, I don't know if I want to talk about it, if I'm anything in particular, but I do like pushing power supplies smaller and smaller. And I'm really proud of uh, Larry HDplex for listening to the community and helping develop a new form factor. Because I think that's changing the viability mm-hmm. of small form factor cases. Like the mini is so popular now because of that power supply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much did that annoy you? It's becoming less and less of a problem because, like, I, again, people can't see, but like I'm holding up this 750 watt SFX power supply, which is, I think, a newer, they just made it so it can get to 750. And it's like, well, at that point, I think it has four eight pins. I could use two graphics cards with this tiny power supply if I wanted to. How much did that annoy you five years ago when you would see these, you know, and I'm holding up quotes, ITX builds with this over, like, and then it's like, it's E, fits E ATX power supply. I'm like, well, then why are you, why are you, <laughs> go no, on. You saw it, but um, we, uh, a guy on our forum, James, uh, made a fully fledged computer inside of a EATX power supply computer <laughs> case with a 2060 in it, and you know, stick an i5 and all that. Oh well, there you go. Yeah, it's like I don't. Again, it's like I I agree. I wish. I think. Um. Well, frankly, I think uh, as they get more and more efficient and prices on this form factor come down, SFX could probably be. Well, I mean, I have a 750 watt one right here. That's more than enough for. Well, most builds, frankly, don't need more than 550 watts. Um, and I, when you get up to 750, we don't need to waste all this space on that. And then I wish there was an even smaller one. You're you're right. Like if you're really going small form factor, especially if it's just an APU build, you really don't need more than 300 watts. And you could make that half as big as SFX, maybe even and, smaller. Yeah, and with GAN technology, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. I, I we could see some really cool power supplies in the future. And now that the idea of breaking up a power supply into the AC, DC, and DC-DC components is now in the community's mind, I think we're going to see some really cool power supplies and really cool builds based on those power supplies. You know, one thing I'll say for a small form factor, too, is as annoying as it may be that you're seeing them get bigger again briefly, it's like, well, yeah, but that's because Turing is uh, 12 nanometer with insane 800 millimeter square dies you know that's why you're getting these giant i mean even the 2060 is 445 millimeter squared which is about almost the size of a 1080 ti and die size so like that's why those cards are getting bigger but as we get more and more die shrinks like as we go you know to five nanometer than three clock speed supposedly won't increase that much but you know density is going to keep doubling 
And the efficiency they curve, they say, should stay the same. So at a certain point, we will probably get to where things do just start getting smaller. So I think the future of small form factor is only going to get more and more viable. When it comes to graphics cards, as time goes on, like I think at a certain point, we'll just hit a scaling wall in performance. I think, well, like let's say the strongest cards at Titan RTX, which is like 50% stronger than the 5700 XT, uh, if that, probably just 40 and I think we're going to get to something twice or three times stronger than that. But by the time we get to three nanometer, I think we're just going to start making them smaller, you know? Well, I hope so. But that's one of the reasons I make a luxury computer case. I'm hoping that's something that people are going to keep over a long period of time. And I don't mm. think the form factor is going to be obsolete because people don't tend to move up so much as they tend to move down. There's exceptions mm. to that. But once you have a mini, it's like, I don't want a case that's five times, literally five times the size of this. And that was considered a mini ITX case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why I, I went from a Node 202 to my Cerebus Slinger here because it's still actually smaller than most ITX cases, but it fits micro ATX, right? And so I know, like I, I knew because of all the audio and video editing I do now, I, I want a stronger CPU soon. So I have the 3950X. But moving forward, I can't see myself ever going bigger than this. And in fact, they sometimes fit thread rippers, you know, in cases this big. So I think for the time being, I don't think I'm ever going to have to go bigger than this again. And that is what I would say to most people is, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, let me ask you this question, switching gears again. So a lot of my friends, when they build their first PC, I usually convince them to not make it too big. But they tend to still make it a, a slightly oversized, in my opinion. ATX build because they want it to be easy to work. And I see this all the time on Reddit. They're like, it's my first build. I want this case to be easy to work in. Um, and I go, but like, is it that much harder to work in something? Like, you don't need to go to, like you say, this like really, like we don't have to go ultra small to where you need to plan out every square inch. I mean, that's fun if you're ready for that. But like, what do you say to people where it's just like, I just don't think most people get that micro ATX and, a spe and even ITX is more than enough. Most people just have two drives in a graphics card. Yeah, it absolutely depends on the design of the computer case. Mm -hmm. Because with like the mini, for example, the current revision is the easiest computer case I possibly could build in. And I'm not saying that to sell it. It's going to sell out mm -hmm. no matter what. But I was building these for people. And I got sick of my last design because it wasn't easy to build in. Mm -hmm. So that uh, so much care went into designing something that you just literally could work inside of and not have to finagle wires. On the flip side is I've built ATX cases for customers <laughs> that were impossibly difficult and frustrating yeah. to build in. So it doesn't matter about the size. It matters about uh, the design. I guess to a point, like the Velka 3 is really small. But it also looks like it'd be an absolute nightmare to build in. But I think that this also has to do with the power supply. So, yeah, what, what I would say is, I guess, yeah, I think you said it pretty well. It's all about the design. And if you go crazy small, there's usually some compromises to, um, I guess, how easy it is to work in to make it smaller. But mm -hmm. if you just go a little bit bigger than that, you know, that like still something maybe about the size of a console or slightly bigger, it's not always harder to work in. I actually don't see like, what did I get this? Like, what did I build? I think it may have been a Silverstone silver case. I forgot. I think it, was, it may have been something 100. I don't remember. Um, and it's an ITX case. 
and it's really small, like really small, but it can fit a Blu-ray drive, an ITX card, the Fury Nano, that size, uh, an ITX case, and a few drives and an SFX power supply. And that thing was no harder to work in than any normal case. It is just you pop off the panel. In fact, it was easier to work in, like you said, in a lot of bigger cases. Like just, I guess, yeah, that's what that's my point. Just don't be afraid to make a smaller build. It, they're not always harder to work in. No, definitely not. Especially with M.2 drives and getting rid of wires. <laughs> yeah. So let me say, so let me see, I have a few more things here. This is just more general questions. I'm kind of curious how much you, because you, you focus on case design, but it's like, uh, are there any hardware releases coming up? Because this will come out in January. So are there any hardware releases coming up in 2020 that you're the most excited for from AMD, NVIDIA, Intel? Like, what do you see coming next year that you're excited for watching? <laughs> uh, honestly, it doesn't really matter to me too much. I just want to see vendors start putting it in form factors that are sensical. That's really what I care about. I know that's kind of a boring answer, but I'd like to see graphics cards that are, you know, six inches in length and designed appropriately. Mm -hmm. I would like to see, um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I'm excited for the Valve Index and um, the Alex game coming out. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's kind of new technology, not so much games, but. Well, let me ask you this then, uh, since you brought it up, like, I remember um, the Alex, I, I heard, right, they were making a VR half-life game and i was like it's about time if they want to sell vr units and so they I, I heard a trailer came out i saw a couple screenshots and i was like whatever and then eventually you know someone sent me the trailer again and i'm like fine you know i loved half-life 2 to death let me watch this trailer and i was like oh it's an entirely new half-life game for some reason i thought it would be basically just a vr version of oh, okay. <laughs> some episode and then i watched the trailer and i was like oh my god i'm so excited so yeah. i guess i guess that's what i'm saying is it's about time there's another half-life of course it won't be called half-life 3 because valve cannot make third games <laughs> but at least this looks like a proper half-life game it does and they're the guys to do it i I'd never really been big into vr but i had a good friend come down mm -hmm. with all her equipment and she kind of immersed me in the latest stuff. And I ended up spending, I think, a six-hour session in VR just playing different yeah. games without realizing it. And I was like, wow, okay, this proves it, it really has come a long way. But my favorite games were the ones that Valve put out as just demos. They weren't even real games. Mm -hmm. But they kind of made use of the idea of what makes VR interesting. It's not just the visuals. It's the interaction. Right. And I think that's why Alex is going to be so I really do think it's going to be good because I think the valve has kind of proven to me in all those little demos that oh, they yeah. know how to make VR fun. So, yeah, I remember. Uh, have you ever played super hot VR? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too much. <laughs> that game is. Yeah, I think I beat every single little thing in that game because it was so much fun. And it just goes to show you what you can do if you build a game around VR, right? Yeah. Like if you actually maximize, um, like uh, for most people, uh, I think it's still kind of hard to make the argument unless you have the money and you're like a true enthusiast to spend a thousand dollars on something you'll probably use a couple weekends a month, probably. And it takes time to set up. But like it got to the point where I had these leftover PlayStation move things. And uh, there was a uh, last Christmas, last Christmas, there was an Amazon sale where the PlayStation VR was $150 and I already had 
all of the accessories. So I was just like, sure. And that's when I like, uh, me and my brother and my <laughs> got into super hot VR and we just, I, this is so like a weird story, but I, we had a bucket of <laughs> Swedish fish. Uh, and we were just like taking turns, jumping around our parents' living room all Christmas, just because like, that's what you learn when you play VR, especially super hot. It's like, no, 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 you need a, you're going to burn calories. You're going to get tired quickly. And I also played through the resident evil seven DLC, which you like go through these catacombs in VR. And I, it was, it was insane. Like actually like running around with like a shotgun, like I have to escape this place full of these monsters, like actually peeking around corners and like seeing them coming and being like, okay, not that way. <laughs> like, like how, like you can, I uploaded the video and people who watched it, you could see by the way the camera was moving. I was actually scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a game called a uh, budget cut. So have you played that? No, I, I haven't heard of it. Okay, Budget Cuts was probably the best VR game experience. Uh, but you basically, it's kind of funny. You're walking around an office building. It's been taken over by, oh, I don't know, budget. evil robots. But but you, you, what's so cool about it is like you're actually hiding behind desks and you know plants and moving. So I, I'm just crouching down and crawling on the floor and moving yeah. around. So you, it does make good use of VR, and you do get some exercise. Yeah, so Budget Cuts. So you're... I get it, I think, right? There's <laughs> yeah. robots killing people because of yeah. budget cuts. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty good. I would check it out. That sounds like... I love the name. Let's put it that way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in ter- I'd say right now at least VR is at the stage where if it's not too expensive, it's certainly worth experiencing. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible. And I think... Um, I guess, yeah, since we're talking about VR, you seem to, you seem to care about that. I mean... I think eventually v- the future of VR is uh, it's just going to have to be wireless. And I mean, ideally, if they can get the computing on your head to really lower the latency, I think that's everything. I don't know if you put any thought into the form factor of VR because the, the wires can still be annoying. Kind of sure. limiting. Actually, I have under contract right now with um, two companies developing VR backpack designs equipment. Mm-hmm. So I do, I am thinking about it. It's, been amazing being with people that are really really talented and visionaries on how to make this fun and better and better there's one company um virtual sports up in washington they're in tukwila but you can go experience vr there they have tons of different bays so i recommend that you check out vr if you're in the area so you have to buy all that stuff but i do think that removing the wires is the most immersive thing like right now it's kind of like forces you to be in a box and it's really good at certain types of experiences. But once we make it completely wireless, and I think for me, like, right, I think it's so cool. So I'm willing to put up with the wires and they're long enough for super hot and all that stuff. But I think eventually for mainstream people, like they, mm-hmm. you got to remove them because like, unless you're an enthusiast, some people just don't seem to be able to put up with the wires. Sure. And the Vive Pro Wireless has been my favorite so far because it is wireless. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of fun. I was actually kind of weirded out that steam index or valves index wasn't wireless out the box, mm-hmm. but maybe they'll come up with a module for it in the future. I don't know. Um, I personally prefer wireless to higher resolution. Uh, well, we'll see. Yeah. I think it's just, uh, it's like, what the best can you do with it? Cause price is still so much of a factor. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the PlayStation fives VR is supposed to use Wi-Fi six. And this, and again, I did a podcast with a network engineer, according to this guy, according to people, other people I've talked to, 
Wi-Fi 6 allows latency near zero. So you Mm. should be able to have like the PS5 or your PC, if you have Wi-Fi 6, right? Running a game and then piping it to a headset. Uh, And I think once we get that going, uh, as long as they can make it for a price people can swallow, I think that's when we'll finally start to see it go mainstream. And I mean, yeah, I don't know about you, but I think, you know, again, I, you know, I can put up the, I can put up with the 1080p and the uh, PSVR because I paid so little for it, but it, at least it's 120 hertz. But I think, yeah, you want to get to at least 1440p per eye because uh, it does, you, you kind of get used to it, right? But when you first put it on, there is definitely a screen door still. No, definitely. And that's why I never really was into it until I used the Vive Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, that hit just that bottom mark to where I was like, okay, yeah, now I, I went from spending five minutes in VR and hating it, to spending yeah. six hours in VR and loving it just from that small boost. So, but maybe it's not a consumer technology. Maybe it's something that we go to experience like at virtual sports where they have all the equipment yeah. and they have giant rooms and they have AR packs on you so they can actually scan the environment and plop in 3d models and stuff you have to get around you know so maybe that's the best use for it but either way i do encourage people to try it because it has come a long way so (laughs) if you hated it five years ago good for you because it sucked five years ago oh yeah this year and to 2018 it was actually fun so (laughs) Exactly. I think that's kind of what I'm trying to say is it's like, we're at the point where it's definitely fun. And if you have the money either for the super high end stuff, it's probably worth it if you're an enthusiast. And if it's like a hundred to 200 bucks, you can get a good deal. Even Mm -hmm. with a bit of screen door, you should experience it. We're at least to the point where either it's cheap enough that you should try it out or it's good enough at the high end that it's really a thing now. It's not going anywhere, right? Like, I think this is a thing I keep being asked. Do you think VR is here to stay? And it's like, I think it's going to be a niche for the next few years, but I think it's like a slow moving niche that will keep picking up steam. It's it's here to stay, but it will continue to technically be niche for a while. I agree with that statement. I didn't before I got to experience the the, the Mm. Vive 2. But I agree with that now. <laughs> well, and you know, and I even recommend people try out Google Cardboard, like because it doesn't need to be a game. Like your phones are now 4K screens, a lot of them, and you can get a. And I don't actually use cardboard, by the way. Uh, you can get a twenty dollar <laughs> headset that's very comfortable on Amazon and mounts to your head, and you can at least experience like a concert or being in a coral reef or all of these demos. I remember Insidious Two had a trailer that was in VR. And it looks, you know, like that works. I think people should at least try to experience that so they get the concept of why it's so incredible. Because it is, even mm-hmm. if it's not a game, like putting it on with your phones, like as assuming you have a good headset and then like just looking around in a coral reef and going, oh my God, okay, I get it. I get it. I instantly get it. You know, even if this isn't a game yet, like there's no way this is going away. No, I completely agree with that. Um, it's even for video interactions, like live stream video interactions, because there's not a lot of people that want to see what I'm doing from a different angle. And eventually we'll have that technology to where the, the person watching can actually go and they can look and they can see what I'm doing. From mm-hmm. They don't understand. It's not going to replace produced content because there's an artistic uh, vision. Sure. And I think that's where people are getting confused. But I think it's actually more practical technology. Yeah. Hey, I'm sure in the next seven years, someone will make a movie in VR that you put on a headset and sit down and like you can just look around during the whole thing. 
like that will be cool. But yeah, most movies are going to be the it's artistic vision. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Half-Life. I was yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah. And like that type of stuff, or if you made like a World War II movie or World War One movie, and like you just have to sit there while the characters are talking next to you and stuff is happening on the other side, like that'll be cool. But I think where it's really going to take off is a lot of it might not even be gaming. Like a lot of it might be checking out a house or mm-hmm. now you're on the Great Wall of China or mm-hmm. now you can talk to a friend who's wearing dorky goggles like you are, but you're actually in their living room talking to them. Yeah. Like I think that's at least that. I mean, that's not going away, guys. <laughs> that's going to stay. Yeah, it's like I totally agree that VR is going to be a very powerful tool and that's not going away, period. So I guess let me close on another question here. I'm looking at some of these more gaming-oriented questions, but like Edward Go writes and he goes, how do you think SSD and RAM prices will do in 2020? Do you think prices are going to keep going down? I'm so sorry, Edward. I don't know anything about that kind of thing <laughs> or most things in general. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to ask um I was going to ask that question as kind of a feeler to see if you want to go into any of the speculation questions. It sounds like that's pretty much a no then. I I mean, I'll answer. I think yes. I, I've said it before. The price are going to keep going down. I don't know. If, I'm actually still using the RAM I have from 2016, 3200 megahertz for 65 bucks, 16 gigabytes. You paid a lot of money. $65? <laughs> no. <laughs> Like, uh, it's like the same price now. My brother just bought slightly slower RAM for 65 bucks, you know? So it's a little cheaper now, but I still don't think we're too where, man, I remember RAM being dirt cheap in 2016. The, uh, Sabrent, um, rocket that you have over there. Is that what that is? Oh, that's a little gem as far as price for SSD. Yep. It's, uh, yeah, it's a Gen 4 SSD for 150. So that's like not much more than a Gen 3 SSD. No, and it kills Samsung's prices. I've been using those um, lately just to test them out because I've used Samsung now for a decade almost. Right. And uh, I just trust them. And when you put your data on something, that really matters. But I'm really trying to blow my Sabrent drives up and see how what I can get for them. They haven't broke yet, right? No, they have not broke yet. Good to know. Okay. Because yep. uh, I because that's one thing uh, a friend sent me. Like, did you see Micro Center has like the, I don't know, the NVMe. I don't know what it is. Like the Samsung 970 or something. Like some, you know, NVMe Samsung SSD. And it's 150 now. And I remember looking at that and going, so? Like you can get this Corsair one for $100. You can get this one here. Inland's pretty well respected now, it seems, for about $100. Um, and Samsung seems to, uh, be demanding a little extra money lately for their sticker. Yeah, they have a lot of, <laughs> but it's, it's super sisters trust, I would say. So if you really are, if I'm building for a client, I'm mm-hmm. going to put a Samsung drive in it. <laughs> I don't care. I'm, but I do want to be able sure. to recommend the Saber and drives on my website because they are very fast. They're very cheap. And so far they have not blown up. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good to know because I'm going to build my new editing rig today or tomorrow, and I'd like to know that uh, you're actually basically the last project I'm doing before I <laughs> upload everything and save it so that I don't uh, lose any data, you know. Or so if something goes wrong with my build, I wouldn't have been able to. I wouldn't have been forced to say, "Nope, not recording today." <laughs> what about that Arctic uh, box? What's it? Oh, looks like a big cooler. Yeah. So this is the. This is the Arctic liquid 
liquid freezer two, 280. Um, as far as I saw in terms of an all in one, they're really hit or miss, but I looked at the stats of this and it basically just blew away the performance of every other liquid cooler I saw on the market, uh, in terms of all in ones. It's interesting that they went quote unquote liquid cooling because they always known for air cooling on your video card. Yeah. I mean, well, again, it's funny because this is new. I don't believe I don't I'm not aware of a lot of Arctic liquid coolers, yeah. but I saw this appear on Newegg a few months ago and then I saw reviews and they're like, it's 10 degrees cooler than wow. 360 millimeter squared and it's a hundred bucks. So Arctic's not price gouging. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> like, they just, you know, and I and I saw you talk about this in one of your videos. They just thought, what if we didn't make one out of shitty components? What if we actually <laughs> tried to make a good one? Because some of them are. Yeah, for my Haswell PC, I had this. Um, so right now in my build is a 92 millimeter radiator liquid cooler. And I got it in college direct from OEM because they, they used to only make those 92 millimeter liquid coolers for OEMs. And I found the 240 millimeter one, you know, the dual 120 slot one that I had for my Haswell build didn't seem to cool much better than my 92 millimeter liquid cooler. Like, and then I realized, well, they're probably using the same weak little pump, right? So yeah, you're going to be bottlenecked by a lot of different things. If they're not perfect, then you're just wasting your money. Like you see these giant 360 <laughs> millimeter, right? Liquid coolers. And then you look at their reviews and they get like two degrees cooler than ones <laughs> that are 120 millimeter. But yeah, so I, I, that, that is one thing I'd recommend with people. I, I generally recommend liquid cooling just because it keeps getting cheaper and cheaper. But make sure you look it up because not bigger does not always mean better. <laughs> and uh, man, some of them are just <laughs> complete junk for the same price. Like they're not all made equal. Yeah, absolutely. You need a good contact. You need a good surface area. That's the size. You need a good flow. That's mm -hmm. the pumps. And if you don't have those three things, and it's pretty useless. Well, especially on the bigger liquid coolers, like I'm, again, my 92 millimeter liquid all-in-one liquid cooler, having that little pump on there probably isn't the bottleneck because it's already a pretty small system. But if you're going to a 360 millimeter liquid cooler, I've seen those with the same small pumps they put on the 120. And I'm like, what? <laughs> no, you need a way stronger pump if you want to take uh, advantage of that gigantic radiator. And I know at least you showed in one of your videos, one of them had this bizarre aluminum copper hybrid heat sink or something. It looked <laughs> so cheap, like just slug metal. <laughs> so many of them do. That's crazy. They're getting smarter because people are putting up YouTube reviews bashing them, but most of them are. So don't just buy any one of them. Go find a teardown first. Mm -hmm. That's my opinion. <laughs> and And make sure, like I think... I'm trying to remember who I think Anantech and Tech Power Up do pretty good liquid cooler reviews where they will actually have like 100 of them compared and then they'll even throw in a couple stock coolers because there are some where they're like, yeah, this is you're paying 60 bucks for something three degrees cooler than the one that comes with the AMD CPU. So just get that. Yeah. The big problem is, too, like it's not really an issue for end user consumers, but they die. They all die. I have I've, I don't even know how many of those all in one liquid coolers I purchased over the years, but maybe maybe a couple hundred just for installing in businesses and stuff. And there's nothing worse than having those go out in a business because you can't no. just pay somebody to go swap the Intel cooler on it. You know, it's a giant mess. So I don't use mm -hmm. them anymore in that regard. 
Because what know, happens is, sorry, the liquid evaporates from the tubes. And I know people yeah, are like, that's that. impossible. But no, it, it, it happens. It's not. Have and, you guys uh, ever uh, made a bunch <laughs> of ice cubes and put them in your fridge? And then over time, the ice cubes disappear in a freezer? <laughs> I have. I've noticed my ice cubes are slowly going down if I don't use them. Yeah, and then the pump doesn't have any water in it, so there's a lot of air, and it burns up, and then you're done. You need to throw it out. It's Like I said, if you're an end user and you're going to replace the cooler anyway in two years, three years, not a big deal, but do not put them in a business. <laughs> yeah, my 92 is fine. It hasn't shown any signs of— That's a good one, though. That's probably one of the best ones that's ever been made. Yeah, I mean it, it's copper and it's again it was one for I think eight is OEM builds right so they didn't even sell it on Newegg right but and also being smaller like uh, again I imagine it becomes a bigger and a bigger issue if you get those three sixty millimeter ones where the water starts to evaporate there's more empty space mm-hmm. for sure yeah I can't uh, so far this one isn't broke so <laughs> that's all I can say but yeah I imagine the fifty dollar ones with the aluminum contact metal and all of that is probably those ones are probably not going to last more than three years at least they they wouldn't have i don't know maybe they're increasing quality i think they are starting to increase quality a bit now because there's competition but yeah and i'd look into buying one of those kits from like ek Mm -hmm. like somebody that's actually making a real liquid cooling all-in-one kits easy for people and they're actually getting better and better i've noticed too and easier and easier to use for anyone so that's probably what I'd look at first. You're going to spend more money, but you're going to, you're actually going to get a lot more performance out of them and you can refill them so you can keep that performance. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I think, yeah, if I look at this, this one is the Arctic one I have also lets you do maintenance on it if you ever actually need to, which is also a thing where, yeah, like the cheaper ones, they're just like, no, nah, you just got to throw that tube away. Hope it doesn't spring a leak. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's everything I had on my notes. Is there anything else I'll ask one more time you wanted to talk about? No, I'm a pretty boring guy, to be honest. Surprised you even had me on the show, but thank you. (laughs) Hey, I'm sure people will uh, enjoy this episode. Uh, They seem to put up with me, so they'll probably put up with you. Um, I think think people should. I'll, I'll plug your, you know, NFC. Or what is your YouTube channel technically called? Not from Concentrate. Yeah, not from Concentrate. Um, I think there's a lot of small form factor people in uh, my community, and I I think they'll love your channel. So definitely check him out. And uh, yeah, if there was ever something you wanted to plug or something in the future, I know you have the NFC, NFC NFC-systems.com. But uh, in the future, if you wanted to talk about some big thing you're launching, you can come on again as well. I enjoyed it at least. All right. Well, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, thanks for making time. I know I was flaky setting this up and I apologize for that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's it. Have a good Christmas. Yeah, you too, man. Good New Year. Mm-hmm. All right. Peace. See ya. Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast, is predominantly brought to you by me, Tom, of Moore's Law is Dead. You can find all of my content, including videos, articles, and this podcast at www.moreslawsdead.com. And of course, it is also often co-hosted by my brother, Dan. And it is edited by my sound engineer, Gerard Cortez. You can find his contact information at www.moreslawsdead.com. You can also find the contact information of my article editor, 
Carbon Cry. Now, of course, if you want to keep the show running, I really do hope you rate me on your podcasting platform of choice. Share it with your friends. And if you have the money, but only if you do, consider supporting me on Patreon at Moore's Law is Dead. If you do, you get access to the Discord to talk to other enlightening people who work not just at AMD, not just at NVIDIA, but often in the server space and other computing areas that people often overlook. And of course, if you support it, you can get access to reading these people's names that keep the show running. But without further ado, let me give thanks to my greatest supporters. The following supporters are at the net burst 10 gigahertz or higher supporter level. I want to thank all of you for your fandom and support. This channel would not be possible without you. Bootman, Hunter Drake, Dean, Ruckus, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, Tomas Baraz, Jesse Blanton, Jordan Betcher, Mohammed Al-Khwari, Carbon Cry, Prime Tech TV, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Carl Marco, Otterwise Tech, Thyrister, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, John Bible, Larry Hoskins II, Night Rogue, 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Bollocks, Derek Evans, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, Scott Show, Frederick Lau, Alexander Delar, Olethros, Telos, Kaiden, Greg T. Wanchek, Jacob Barber, Exoti, Whiny Care Bear, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jan Rauner, Rubber Ducks, Michael Costa, Ali Robertson, Gordon Lamb, Sadler Sadler, Benny Berlin, and Phil S. Thank all of you and thank you to Sahara for this music. Music.